Our graduates are to be commended for reaching this milestone. It has required considerable work and patience. My guess is you were better at the work than the patient, because most of us are not very patient. Today we're going to look at a story, a passage of Scripture from the Old Testament, where Israel is in a position that required patience. Now, they had been freed from bondage at this point. They have traveled to Sinai, and while they are there, Moses goes up to meet with the Lord. He's been gone for 40 days, and they are waiting. As they are waiting, they get tired. They become impatient. The danger of becoming weary in waiting is that we make bad decisions. And that's what happened to Israel, as we shall see in just a little bit in our text. When we fail to wait on the Lord, when we become weary, then we have the tendency to make bad decisions. I can illustrate that through the story of Saul. Saul was king of Israel. He was about to lead the people into battle against the Philistines. He wanted the favor of God, so he and Samuel had arranged for there to be a sacrifice to the Lord. But Samuel did not arrive when he was supposed to arrive. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel 13, Now he waited seven days according to the appointed time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring to me the burnt offering and the peace offering, and he offered the burnt offering. So Samuel didn't come when he had agreed to come, and Saul decided that he was going to offer the offering instead. The problem was he did not have authority to do so. And so then Samuel came, and when Samuel came, he said, Saul, because you have not waited on the Lord, because you have been disobedient to the Lord, then the kingdom is going to be taken from you and given to a young man who has a heart for God. Let me give you another example. When we were studying through Second Peter, you recall that there were some Christians who became weary in waiting for the return of Christ, and then they decided that he was not going to return. And Peter wrote, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continued just as it was from the beginning of creation. So they grew weary then in waiting and decided that Jesus was not going to return. Today we look at Aaron and the golden calf in Exodus chapter 32, beginning in verse number 1. Look there with me. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. 
And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go down at once, for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now then let me alone that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them, and I will make of you a great nation. You young people are going to make some decisions in life. Some of them will be good. Some of them will be bad. Some of them will be right. Some of them will be wrong. As I look at our text, every decision that Aaron made was a wrong decision. First of all, was he going to listen to the voice of the people, or was he going to listen to the voice of God? In verse number 1 it says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So, are they going to listen now to the voice of God, or are they going to listen to the voice of the people? The obvious choice was that Aaron would listen to the voice of God. God had provided for their every need when the famine came to the land. He had Joseph in a place where Joseph could provide for their needs, and the Lord fed them during that time of famine. It was after the time of Joseph that they were taken into slavery by the Egyptians. While they were there, they began to cry out to the Lord, the Bible says, and God heard their cry. And he said to Moses, Moses, I want you to lead my people out of bondage. When Moses attempted to do so, Pharaoh did not respond. And at that point, the Lord sent the plagues to force him to allow them to leave. Whenever they left, they came to the Red Sea and Pharaoh relented. He changed his mind concerning allowing them to go free. And before them now is the Red Sea. Behind them is the Egyptian army. And the Bible says that the Lord parted the Red Sea and they went across on dry land. The Lord promised them a land that would flow with milk and honey. So whenever we look at the history of Israel, we see that God has provided for their every need. He provided food for them. He provided protection for them. He promised them land flowing with milk and honey. He provided everything for them. So it seems to me that the obvious choice was that they would listen to God. But Aaron listened to the people. Look at verse number 2. And Aaron said to them, Tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. You know, this is strange to me because these are the people of God. These are the ones who have been provided for by God. They have been set free by God. And now then they want another God? How could they come to a place where they were so vulnerable to disobedience? Well, you see, they had never left the idols of Egypt. They left Egypt, but they took with them the idols of Egypt. 
The Bible says in Ezekiel 20, verse number 8, But they rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me. They did not cast away the detestable things of their eyes, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. So whenever we look at the Hebrew people at this time, though they had been set free from bondage, they physically left Egypt, but they took with them the idols of Egypt. The Bible says in Psalm 106, they made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a molten image. Thus they exchanged their glory for the image of an ox that eats grass. The reason they were vulnerable is because they kept with them the idols of Egypt. And so it says in verse number 4, He took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. This is surprising to me when I read this story, and I've read it many times, but it's surprising to me. It was just a few days earlier that God had commanded them that they were to make no graven images. And the Bible says in Exodus chapter 20, verse number 4, You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. So it was just a few days prior that God had said to them, You are not to make any idols. Not only that, they were in the very place where God had given that command. They were at Mount Horeb. So this had happened just a few days earlier. I'm also surprised that Aaron was complicit in their disobedience. Why, why would Aaron join with them in this disobedience to the Lord? You recall that he was the spokesman for God. When the Lord called Moses and said, Moses, I want you to be my spokesman. Moses said, Lord, I, I'm not a good speaker. He said, I'm slow of tongue. And God said, well, then Aaron can do it. In Exodus 4, he said, is there not your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently. So he had been the spokesman then for God. Not only that, but he was with Moses when the plagues were sent to Egypt. And when Moses went up on Mount Sinai, Aaron was the one who was left in charge. But he listened to the people rather than to the voice of God. There's a passage of Scripture in Galatians chapter 1, verse number 8, where Paul says, But even though we, or an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. So, my question, first of all, to you is who will you listen to in the years before you? Will you listen to the voice of God? Or will you listen to the voice of the people? Aaron made a decision. He chose to listen to the voice of the people. And he was wrong. Secondly, would Aaron compromise God's precepts or would he commit himself to them? And he compromised them. Look at verse number 5. Now, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Now, that's interesting as well, because he made this graven image. He made the calf. And then he says, Tomorrow we're going to have a feast to the Lord. You know what he was trying to do? He was trying to have it both ways. 
He was trying to, to be committed to God over here and please the people over there. And he thought that he could compromise his religion. There are many examples of that. People who have sought to compromise their religion. The first were Cain and Abel, the children of Adam and Eve. And the Lord told them the sacrifice that they were to offer to God. And the Bible says in Hebrews 11, For by faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. Now, why was that? Because Abel offered a sacrifice of blood, which had been required by God. Cain, on the other hand, offered a sacrifice of grain, something from his own hand. In other words, he thought that he could compromise what God had said. I'll give you another example, that of Balaam. Balaam was offered money to curse the children of Israel. He did not do so, but he wanted to. And so the Bible says in 2 Peter 2.15, Forsaking the right way, they have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Now, this was a religion that went to the highest bidder. Now, young people, if that represents your religion, you're always going to compromise it. If it's not a deep commitment, then you will always compromise your religion. We today are tempted to compromise doctrines. You, I'm sure you have seen the um, example of Miss California, USA. She was in the contest, and you either I didn't see the contest, but I have seen the news reports that have been played over and over again. But she was asked the question, as she's a Christian, she was asked the question. Since Vermont has legalized same-sex marriage, do you think that other states should do so? And she said that she began talking, and in the midst of it, she knew that that was a test. Was she going to be faithful to God? Or was she going to compromise her beliefs? Was she going to compromise her faith? At a subsequent uh, interview, she said, It is not my desire to be politically correct. It is my desire to be biblically correct. You see, there's always this pressure that is put on us that we compromise the doctrines of God. When we become believers, we are given freedom in Christ. But there is the temptation to take the freedom that is ours in Christ to think that we can do whatever we want to do. And that is acceptable to God because we are under grace. That can become an idol. God gives to us certain spiritual gifts, but the temptation is that we take these gifts and feel that we are superior to those who do not have such gifts. And that becomes an idol. Did you know even the Bible can become an idol? The Bible's the Word of God, but it can become an idol. I believe it becomes an idol when it becomes an end within itself rather than a means to an end. You see, the Bible was given to you not to put on a shelf and count as sacred. It was given to you to influence your life, to make a difference in your life. And if it does not do that, then it becomes an idol. Even our traditions can become an idol. I love the traditions of the church, and I guess I always have. But my frustration sometimes is that we become more committed to the traditions than we are to the Lord. When that happens, then that becomes an idol. Well, most of us don't think of ourselves as idolaters. So how do you define it? 
What is an, an, an idolater? How, how do you define that? Well, it's when we use the things of God for our own purposes. Let me give you an example. When you use the tithe that belongs to God for your purposes, that's idolatry. When you use the Sabbath for your purposes, that's idolatry. When you use your talents for your own purposes, that's idolatry. When we use the things that belong to God for our purposes, that's idolatry. When we take credit for something God has done, that's idolatry. So when I look at this passage of Scripture, I see that Aaron wanted to have it both ways. He wanted to compromise his convictions. We're tempted to do the same thing. And that was condemned in verse number 9. The Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. He condemned their behavior. Moses did. Deuteronomy chapter 31, For I know your rebellion and your stubbornness. Behold, while I am still alive with you today, you have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more then after my death? Folks, our rebellion against God is condemned. And the Bible says in verse number 22 that God was angry. You see, when we tolerate sin in our lives then we put ourselves in a position to receive the anger of God. That's what we learn there. When we rebel against the Word of God, God becomes angry with us, and we put ourselves in a position that we are exposed to His anger. So, second question. Would He compromise or remain committed? And He compromised. Third, would Aaron confess his sin or blame others? And he chose to blame others. Moses rebuked Aaron because of this. And you know why? Because he caused the people of Israel to fall. Now, I want you to look in verse number 21. Then Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such great sin upon them? He rebuked Aaron because he said, Aaron, as a result of your sin, you have caused the people to fall. That's a message to the church today. Ladies and gentlemen, when we do not stand committed to the Word of God, then we cause our people to fall. I, I know that we live in a time when, um, when there is a lot of pressure on the church that we might become politically correct. There are those who constantly pressure the message that has been given to us they pressure the church, that we compromise what the Word of God says, that we might become politically correct. But now listen, we can never condone that that God has clearly condemned, regardless as to what it is. There's always the pressure that we compromise. I guess that's one of the things that grieves my heart when I look at our government, because I do love this country. And for years, it seems to me, that the government has engaged itself in legalizing those things the Bible say are sin and encourage the people to participate in sin, which ends up bringing about an immoral citizenship. 
We tend to blame others when we're rebuked, and Aaron was rebuked for his sin. Moses said, Aaron, when you sin, you cause the people to fall. That's a good message for us. Father, when you sin, you cause the family to fall. That's a good message for the church. When we fail to stand for the things of God, to stand on the Word of God, then we cause those people who look to us for a clear message to fall. And so we are rebuked as a result of it. When we are rebuked, what happens? Same thing with Aaron. We blame someone else. Go all the way back to Adam and Eve. When they sinned, what did they do? Well, Adam blamed Eve, and Eve blamed the serpent. And then I look at Aaron. He found a number of people to blame for what he did. First of all, he blamed Moses in verse number 22. Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord burn. You know the people yourself that they are prone to evil. When you left me here with these people, Moses, you know how they were. I mean, they're prone to evil. So he said, You should have known that anyway. He blamed the people in verse number 23. For they said to me, Make a God for us who will go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Moses, you should have seen those people. They came to me and said, we don't know if Moses is coming back or not. It's their fault. I didn't want to do it. And then he blamed God. Look at verse number 24. To me, this is one of the most humorous verses in the Bible. And to, I, and to them I said, whatever, whoever has any gold, let them tear it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. I didn't do anything. It was a miracle. God must have done it. So when Moses came to Aaron and said, Aaron, you made some bad decisions. He said, well, it's not my fault, Moses. It's your fault. You knew how these people were when you left me here. It's not my fault. It's the fault of the people. They came to me and put great pressure on me. It's not my fault. It's God's fault. He's the one who created that thing. I just put some gold in the fire and I jumped this calf. And then I look at Moses, the man of God, and how he responded First of all, he prayed for them in verse number 11. Then Moses entreated the Lord his God. Ladies and gentlemen, a sinful people should always drive us to our knees if we're the people of God. Too often we want to pick up stones and throw at other people when we should be on our knees praying. And that's what Moses did. He prayed. Now, I want you to look at, at, uh, at his, uh, his appeal to the Lord. He, he appealed to his provision in verse number 11. Oh, Lord, why doth thine anger burn against thy people whom thou hast brought out, out from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? He said, Lord, you, you're the one who provided the freedom. God, you've provided for us. You provided for us during times of famine. You, you provided freedom for us. He appealed to God's reputation in verse number 12. Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, with evil intent, he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Matthew Henry wrote, if Israel could perish without any reproach to God's name, Moses could persuade himself to sit down contented. But he cannot bear to hear God reflected on, and therefore this he insists upon, Lord, What would the Egyptians say? Moses prayed for them. And God extended mercy in verse number 14. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he had said he would do to his people. It's interesting to me, and if you look at it there, 
In your Bible, in verse number 7, God referred to these people as your people. Moses, these are your people. In verse number 9, he said that they are an obstinate people. And then in verse number 14, it says that they are his people. God is willing to extend mercy when we appeal to mercy. What would Aaron do? Would he accept blame? Would he confess his sin? Would he blame someone else? And he blamed someone else. Well, his decisions, did they lead to death or did they lead to life? And they led to death. Folks here, and, I, and to me this is, a, this is very important. If you insist on sin in your life, there can come a time when God gives you over to the sin. And if you look in verse number 20, it says, And he took the calf which they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it over the surface of the water and made the sons of Israel drink it. In other words, their sin became the basis of their judgment. God says, do you want that? Is that what you want? Then I'm going to give it to you. And they ground up the golden calf and the people had to drink it. Did you know the same thing is true with us? That if we insist on sin, God gives us to the sin? The Bible says in Psalm 81, verses 11 and 12, But my people did not listen to my voice, and Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. That has always been an ominous thought to me. That if I insist on holding on to a sin, there can come a time when God says, then I'm going to give you that sin to work out its consequence in your life. You see the same thing recorded in Paul's letter to the Romans. For instance, there is the sin of lust. And we live in a society of lust. And God says, there can come a time when I give you over to lust. And so the Bible says in Romans 1.24, Therefore God gave them over to the lust of their hearts. He says, is that what you want? Then you can have it. Perverse passions. In chapter, Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the women and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. He says, is that what you want? Then I'm going to give you to it. And a depraved mind, in Romans 1.28, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. See, it's an awesome thought to me that if you insist on holding on to a sin, there can come a time when God says, then I'm going to give you to the sin. And that sin will work out its natural consequences in your life, which is death. And you see that in verses 27 and 28. I'll not read it. See, God warned us in, when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. He said, if you eat of the forbidden fruit, then you're going to die. That's a consequence of sin. In the New Testament, in Romans, the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. So what I want you to understand is that Aaron made some decisions. They were all wrong. They ended in death. Like the people of Israel, we also have to make decisions. 
And so I'll just go back and reiterate and ask you the questions again. Who will you listen to? Will you listen to the voice of God or to the voice of people? Because you'll find those voices to be different. So whose voice will you listen to? Secondly, will you compromise or stand committed? Because there will be a temptation to compromise the things of God. Will you blame someone else for your failures? Or will you confess them? Will you choose life? Or will you choose death? The Bible says in Deuteronomy 30, I call heaven and earth the witness against you, that I have said before you life and death, the blessing and curse. So choose life in order that you may live. We all make decisions. Some are good, some are bad. Some are right, some are wrong. But it's so important that you make the right decisions when it comes to the things of God. He says, choose life. Choose blessing. And I pray today that you might. Our Father in God, we come to a point of choosing, a point of invitation. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you might speak to the hearts of people today. And as difficult as it might be, as much pressure as there might be, Lord, that we will choose to listen to the voice of God. Lord, that we'll be obedient to you. I pray, Father, for those today who need to make such a commitment. Give them the courage to do so. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir's going to sing. This is your time choice. The invitation for you. Choose life. Choose blessing. If you're here without Christ today, commit your life to Him. If you're looking for a church home, our door's open to you. Stand with me, please, as we stand together and the choir sings, You come, I'll greet you as you do.